Thanks for streaming this episode of Speakers Forum from KUOW 94.9 Seattle. Alice Notley appeared at McCaw Hall on April 5th as part of Seattle Arts and Lectures Poetry Series. Notley lives and works in Paris. Her most recent work is Certain Magical Acts. Good evening. My name is Rebecca Hoogs, and I have the great pleasure of serving as the Associate Director of Seattle Arts and Lectures. I'm delighted to welcome you to an evening with Alice Notley. I'd like to begin by thanking the many partners who have made this evening possible. Many thanks go to our presenting sponsor, The Seattle Times. Thanks to our series sponsor, Charles and Barbara Wright. Thanks to our reception sponsor, Woodenville Wine Country, and our hotel sponsor, The Four Seasons Hotel Seattle. Thanks to our poetry media partners, Poetry Northwest and Crab Creek Review. Thanks to our organizational supporters, all of whom are listed in our program, and special thanks for a significant support of our public programs go to For Culture, the Amazon Literary Partnership, Arts Fund, Nordstrom, and the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture. Thanks to our bookstore partner, Open Books, and thanks to all of you for being here with us tonight. A round of applause for everybody. The format for this evening will be a reading by Alice Notley, who will then be joined on stage for a conversation with Christine Diebel and J.W. Marshall. You may know John and Christine from their 20 years running the magical slice of poetry. The magical slice of poetry known as Open Books, and you may know them as fine award-winning poets who have appeared in the Sal Poetry series. And you may not know that they are particular fans of Alice Notley's work, and thus it seemed that inviting them back as interviewers would be the perfect way to welcome them to this stage and series in this new capacity. You may note that John is sporting a sling on one of his wings. He had shoulder surgery a few weeks back, and all is going well, so you can refrain in the question cards from asking too many questions about his health, and you can focus on the poetry. John and Christine will include as many of your questions as possible, so if you have a question for Alice, please write on a question card and pass it to an usher. And if you are tweeting, Facebooking, Instagramming, or otherwise posting about tonight's event, our hashtag is Sal Notley. We are also delighted to feature John and Christine tonight because they are two of this year's Prouda Literary Champion Award winners, along with Billy Swift, the intrepid new owner of Open Books, who is pioneering the next 20 years. Along with Karen Maeda Allman of Ellie Bay Book Company. And to honor them, we partnered with Golden Lasso to make a brief video, which I am delighted to show you now. Seattle Arts and Lectures' mission is to champion the literary arts by engaging and inspiring readers and writers of all generations in the Puget Sound region. We were founded in 1987, so next year will be our 30th anniversary, and we founded the Prouda Literary Champion Award four years ago to celebrate our founder, Sherry Prouda, and celebrate the incredible folks who make this city a great place for readers and writers. We have been proud to celebrate some incredible folks thus far. In our first year, we celebrated Book It Repertory 
Theater and Lee Soper. In the second year, we celebrated the team from Third Place Books in the year when they had committed to open the store in Seward Park. And then last year, we honored Chris Agashi for her outstanding career running the Washington Center for the Book. So we've been proud every year to honor different groups and individuals. It's so nice to be able to have this award where we can really think about those people in this community who are doing these things that really help us all and, and honor them. I think it's a wonderful honor that's perpetuated in her name and um, recognizes people who um, have similar spirit and um, vision. We're all really aware of the people in the community who are going be above and beyond. Each year we try to get it down to one and we usually fail and have to give it to at least two. We're supporting this very small and very wonderful venture, Open Books, a poetry bookshop that's been around for so long. When it came out that John and Christine were going to sell, so often that means closing, and um, yeah. that's such a unique and vital um, bookstore, not only to us in Seattle, but that really is a national um, landmark. And poets come to Seattle and say, I've got to go find that store. They may not have ever been there, but they've mm -hmm. heard about it. And its dedication and commitment are, are certainly known all over. In the country, there are only two all poetry bookstores, and knowing that an mm -hmm. all poetry bookstore existed felt like this validation of yeah. poetry matters mm -hmm. and it's important and it deserves its own space. And I love that it exists and that John and Christine made this special space, and that in the transition, that Billy has stepped up and said, I love it and I'm going to preserve it and take it new places. I've seen other bookstore transitions, but I, um, that one doesn't feel like it's missed a beat. It's just heartening to see how that's happening. But also Karen Maeda Alman of Elliott Bay Books. It's so important right now to honor her because she has done so much behind the scenes in this community. Um, not only about literature and words on the page, but about people and about issues and about people from different populations and ethnicities. She has helped me understand what I should be writing in the world. I always knew she was an amazing bookseller, but I didn't realize all the work she's done around domestic violence and connecting survivors of domestic violence to books. Karen has way more knowledge than most of us to begin with. I mean, you ask her, I was in here two years ago and there was a book with a blue cover that had this you know, storyline going to it, and Karen will probably come up with it better than most of us. That's something we all strive for, to be able to put the books people want or we think they should want um, in their hands, and Karen has the better way of you know, the, sort of a genius for really doing that. And to, to the point where people come in the store and others of us offer to help them, and they say, no, no, I'm waiting for her. Karen is truly one of the most significant, vital, integral parts of why the store is here and why the store does what it does. And, I say that again, having seen and known everyone who's come through there. So she's she's really central and vital. And I think the having the Proud Award um, acknowledge that is a good and appropriate thing. All writing, fiction and nonfiction and poetry allow us to envision different worlds and experiences that are not our own. They're the best path for developing empathy. They're the best path for sharing personal experiences. And they allow us as a community to engage with issues of our time, critically important issues in new ways, in thoughtful ways. And I think they make the world not only a better place, but also a more meaningful place.
John, Christine, and Billy, will you three stand so that we can applaud you wildly? Now, onward to tonight's program. To officially open our evening, I am proud to introduce one of our Youth Poet Ambassadors, Emrys Foster. Sal launched the Youth Poet Laureate Program here in Seattle two years ago in partnership with New York City's Urban Word to amplify youth voices. If you know a young person who might be interested in following our current inspiring Youth Poet Laureate's footsteps, Angel Gardner, and becoming Seattle's next YPL or YPL ambassador. The applications are now available on our website and at the information table. They are due on April 24th. And also for the K-12 Writers in Your Life, enrollment is now also open for our Writers in the Schools summer camp. You can visit our info table or lectures.org to learn more. And please join me in welcoming Emerus Reading Nautica. Uh, hey, I'm Emerus. I use they, them pronouns. I'm 15 years old, which, by the way, means that I am almost old enough to, like, get a real job, but I'm kind of looking around at the market and, like, Elliott Bay Bookstore open books. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, anyways. <laughs> Who has hurt you? The sea. The sea has hurt me, and I shall never recover. Who takes their eyes from morning light and the mists of time long lost? The clock tower, my love. The everything and the nothing. The, the creatures that feed off your heartbeat, whose veins drip with your tears. The dusty glass jar in the corner, forgotten. When will the sun rise? When the night watch ends and the anchor holds strong, the sun will rise red, red warning. How should the moon measure the tides in come and go and leave and stay and wait, return, delay? How should I breathe, sit in the sand and listen to the sea, push, pull, in, out, inhale, exhale, until I return? What about love? I am in love with salt and wind and canvas. What about everyone you leave behind? They will be waiting at the dock when the tide comes in. What about tears? Tears are salt and salt like the ocean. When I am on land, I catch my tears and drink them from my cupped palms. I will shed none now. Yours will flow back to the sea, to me. You ask so many questions. What about trust? Marooned in this city as I am, who will find me here? The sea, as it rises, some strange vulture. You ask so many questions. When will my life begin? With the sunrise, with the high tide, I set sail. Marooned on this earth as I am, when will I join the constellations? When I give them my breath and my flesh, when at last I learn how to dance and I take my place in sailor's charts. How should I begin? Hoist the mainsail, reef the canvas, down, over, and under, loop, up, over, and under, so I don't capsize in the wind. When will my ribs crumple and cave in? When I fall, as I sink through the fading light, and silvery bubbles escape from pale blue lips, one of them carries my superstitions. I can let go of them now. There is no wood to knock on here, only cast iron skeletons. 
Below my shoulders resides my heart. Below the surface of the water lurk dark shapes and sharp teeth and ancient, ancient creatures here be dragons. In the beginning, I had nothing. In the beginning, you had everything. Then we had each other, no more and no less. But now I have the reflection of moonlight on water, the pull of the tides, the wind on my face and the salt roughened shrouds high above the deck. Because the sea has hurt me, my love, and I shall never recover from the smell of salt and the golden green of murky depths and the curve of horizon tracing the sky from this insatiable thirst for salt water. Thank you. Thank you, Emrys. We will have copies of Emerson's poem at our information table after the event, and you can also find it on our blog. It is an immense pleasure to welcome the formidable visionary of new forms, Alice Notley, to Seattle. Notley is the author of more than 40 books of poetry. In 2015, she was awarded the Poetry Foundation's Ruth Lilly Poetry Prize, which recognizes the outstanding lifetime achievement of a, U of a living US poet. Across forms and outside forms, Notley has invented and reinvented the genre of poetry. She puts the avant in avant-garde. She is post-postmodern. She is always pre-whatever's next. Each poem, each line of each poem, feels like it can be read as a manifesto for her work. Quote, I want to live here where nothing coheres, she writes in one poem. Quote, nothing happens, things coalesce, then melt again as if you yourself create them. Well, don't I? I create death and time. She does indeed create as if an all-powerful creature, a force beyond mere mortals, a divine presence. From lyrics to epics to book-length poems, from her groundbreaking work about birth and motherhood, Notley embraces mystery like the visionary poet that she is. Local poet Sierra Nelson, in a beautiful essay for Poetry Northwest that I highly recommend to you, describes seeing Notley read here in Seattle years ago, the last time she was here. She says, Notley read like a flume, she writes, a torrential streaming force, almost terrifying yet deeply invigorating, like a dynamic waterfall, or, she quotes, in a gesture both ecstatic and trembling, like a sudden blaze rushing upward. She quotes Borges, who quoted, quoting the pseudo-Dionysus describing the seraphim in A History of Angels. Notley's most recent book, Certain Magical Acts, is a dreamscape. The poems are, as Susan Howe writes, quote, telepathic thought fields. Notley, in an interview when asked about dreams, said, quote, examples of things I like about dreams. You don't have to walk a long way to get somewhere. You see people in them you've never seen before. There is no closure. Poems and songs come to you that you don't have to take the trouble to write. There is a magic place one can go to to write poems, thus the title of my new book. In her biography, it is said that she has, quote, never tried to be anything but a poet, and all her ancillary efforts have been directed to that end. In a poem from Certain Magical Acts, she writes, quote, I disavow any reason but ink on paper to be viewed in the future by no one. We are lucky tonight to sit at the mouth of the Sibyl's cave and to perhaps grasp one or two leaves of meaning as they swirl out to see through the seer's eyes a bit of the future, to be avant before. Please join me in welcoming Alice Notley.
Hello, I, I was worried about my water because it was hidden. <laughs> but I actually have it now. I'm going to read uh, entirely from certain magical acts. I have to make sure it's good. I haven't read, given a, a full a full-length reading from it yet, even though it came out last June. So, I am going to be begin. Two of Swords. I'm blind with my arms crossed over my breasts, sword in each hand. I seek justice in countervailing sharpnesses. You are in force and you are in force. I can't help be but but be both of you. I wanted to be able to take a side and will never again. These blades could slice my skin, standing as they do for our fierceness, or should I say stupidity? If I drop both swords and rip off the blindfold, I still can't leave, for I can't leave this world except internally. Who wants to see us anyway? Two parties or two sexes, two countries, armies, or two religions, two debaters, two gladiators, two contenders for one space. Is there such a thing as one space? Don't you want to go with the winners, you ask? I want this noise within me to die down. Democracy isn't efficient, and the only politics I recognize lies between us, undefined, requiring no casting of votes. It asks that we admit we're both present, all present, in the same multiform space within me or you. I would never ask that you follow me. I will never acknowledge a leader. I am my president. But also, I am everyone trying to be with you because I exist and always have. We thought we were our own. We thought we were our own people for tens of thousands of years. We thought there were others like us, but who identified with a different story, a truly other people. But we are all the people, aren't we? We the people? We have forgotten how to be we the people, someone says. Have we, says another. We, if we're the right we, are the people. We can be we, everyone, in the right thought. We found our own true love when we were young, but we didn't know why we had to do this. Hadn't we always? And now we don't know. Everything we have done we can come to despise, dividing us into the we of men and the we of women, for example, and all the other we, the people's we, the largest we, are composed of. Can we truly be this most large we of all, all the people? We are domestic and malicious. We are kind and empty. We are purely stupid, sadistic, mortal. But if that, as we replace us with ever more of us, we will never die. I might like to die someday, someone says. I'm not sure that I don't mind if we die, for I'm not sure what living is in that way that we always seem to be sure. We who ever manipulate what we think, we kids. We loved our mother and our father, for they watched us play without interruption across the long afternoon and into evening. Then we lost each other to our new families, our most desired we, we thought. Why do we now want to find each other again, the we of our beginning? 
Who do we trust the most as we cleave and uncleave and cleave again into successive groups, small and large, in a time we define as us, our history? Our time is only us. Time, the substantial we, epochal and great, as only we can see it, our particulars. In the historical library, one reads our book. Don't you want to know what's real? Don't you want to worship our pitiless exclusion of the times we don't know, can't remember? We found our shores walking across a shallow ocean or rowing in boats. Or we just materialized alongside the people we are most like who aren't people. Maybe they're people. Maybe the apes are people. And the birds, lizards, and lilies, we say. Fish and algae, the sweet other mammals, the dear ones, the spiders and frogs. We, the people who appeared before we were bored, for some of us were always there. We found us from before, but there was a long raucous before, and some of us are sad we can't remember it. We have stories to complete, as in our long integrity, though they aren't true. We aren't true, defining ourselves as mammals with digits and brains, attesting to our superiority over other parts of our we. But there is no superiority without our we, without all of us. Without us, we are nothing. Without delicate, exhalant flora, we are nothing. Without mists and stars and planets and the creatures who live in our bodies, we are all of us congealed into our definition of we. We go where we live, there is nowhere else. We make ourselves hats and gendered pants and skirts. We are sure we are correct in our details. We are of our times, our class, and our values. Correct as only we know how, and our machines excite us. So much that we consider them us, we want them to think and act as us. We are our body of the airplane, the computer, and the car. We are our canon and our rebellion, but that is more of the story we have invented that is urgent, appropriate, and true. We are our songs and films. We are what some of us say that more of us choose. How could we love each other without knowing how from our resemblant forms, our echoing sounds, we can identify ourselves from our pastimes and our loves? For aren't we our loves above all? We hate the ones who are spontaneously different, as if what they loved accused us of unhappiness. We divide then. We don't know which of us are really our ethic or element. We are changeable in our moods, for we are what is. We watch with our eyes of us the squirrel person streak across the road, and with our hands of us we write words in a notebook of our language. These marks, as on an airplane wing blazing, are words for us to read, though some of part of us can't read. Some part of us is unlettered and describes us by living. Some part of us has no leader, no police, and no protocol. We, in that part, are above us, are the us to which we'll return. We, knowing the clear-edged poem of the object we see as us, we who act, we could never sit at this kitchen table without our terrible and beautiful past and our poems that tell us who we are. We know ourselves inside the extinguishable light, but we know ourselves in another universe. We are here by our agency, which we cannot remember. A world like a boat passing by, and perhaps another on the dark water. How could we stop being us, even when we leave the jeweled cinema? We are gravely and lightfully blessed but we bless ourselves. We are our way, but we fight within it and about it. 
We step on the fragile thread of our way, going about with no other explanation but givenness. This is our gift, but who or what can have given it to us except for us? Uh, the problem with this book is that everything in it is long, and so <laughs> I have to excerpt uh, from things when I read. So I'm going to read uh, now a selection from this sequence called Voices, which is very long, and each, each poem is a voice from sleep, a voice from a dream, a voice in the dark, a voice from the unconscious that's now conscious. But I can never figure out which one on the page I meant to read. <laughs> so, One thing I know is that I'm full of blood. Who is speaking? Blood confirms my identity. Someone else owns me, whom I fight for against others of the same vulnerability, sack of migrating ability. A drop of me was first spilled, my surface of jingles broken, my surface invaded by archaic tooth of the enemy god's representative. No, before that. I fight because I might as well. Look at the barbaric assholes calling themselves government. They mean power. I'd rather just kill. Join the ghost dancers later at the ossified bridge to trip over crushed skulls across the river whose origins emotion. Fake panaceas of warbling values, religious nuttiness, con art. To partake, finally, of livid equality, death. As I say, for I get to say, blood has kept me going since it first turned red, or before, I am my own shrine to the sanctity of the liquid, gluey, smelly, gleaming, as it flows behind the arras of political complexity. The leader isn't the faded one, he's just a party hack. I'm faded, and I'm entirely yours. The peacocks in the yard are all of the blue-green variety. I got them to help us in the night. A sad, tiny mouth, top of the street, should turn into peacock achievement. I want to be a star blown in the wind from the river, one of a thousand empty things on its breath. What's left of a sister life could be display iridescence, wham! Not your idea of an old building on a rundown street. I want to be a peacock. So I bought some, at least in this dream or daydream of a mysterious brain with barge-broken viaduct thoughts on the giant gold war of washed-out civilizations. I am a habitué of my own thoughts, but I don't know where they come from. And that's pleasantly scary. Buy yourself 20 or 30 peacocks. They'll shit all over the grass, I thought, but it's worth it. <laughs> when I was a kid, I wanted a peacock feather, just a feather. I must be trying to be some god of mankind. I mean, not your average destiny moth begging around in the dark, but something like a king, an eternity of angel clothes, but better. Why am I showing you this piece of wishing? Because we're all poor, and this is a rich dream. I don't care about anything else. I want to see peacocks in my backyard right now. Then I am them, and they are better than toppled sorrow or Chinese music box or red flowering weeds. I like to be peacocks. I hate the blues. I hate being worse off than someone else. If 
there are always two ways to exist in time, as I've seen. One is denser, the other is told. I'm always drawn to thick time, presenting fibers of chaos, bundled but indicating wildnesses as really grouped. If you don't understand me, then it must be experienced. She was a dark-eyed woman, set like an emblem in the room replete with reality. How did I know the room's name, real time? There's no time until you count. Aging's not time, it happens. Call it a beauty. I stayed in the thick-aired room until war came, ending the economic slump others read as story. It was smeared in elegiac details on the brunette's young face. That's how I know it happened. I'm alone as usual, impossibly nowhere or right here. I walked a path formerly. Now I see things all at once, so this room's sufficient, painful, because of visual courage. Time exists to be brutal in. War is the beloved, undoing story, institutions, bodies in time, on chaos's side. But I know chaos just sitting. I have to get the keys to Rusty in a bar in Phoenix this night. And no one else cares if I drive across the state in infrared light just because it's a desert like the Gobi or any Chinese highlights that I'll try not to get in my eyes as I near what matters to them. In between grief so flat that you desire it, hardly any characters. Didn't want anyone to find me, not yet. Billions hide me before I can arise on my golden wings or something. Rusty wants to happen. Don't you dig that as I chatter in anger with photographers on stage. It was becoming too unworldly. Hold still now, so we'll call you something. Maybe the People's Republic, to passe, no? Bite this kumquat and live. Starving in winter with tears in my eyes. Why did I get human features? I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Feet with toes? I don't know how to think, and I don't want to think. Destroy my DNA or whatever it is. Civilizations and species recognition. Vanity. Oh, it's rusty. I've got your keys so you can go home now and translate your poetry into the language of angels and bark clothes or darkest maroon at dusk. <laughs> Breaking like mica to pieces of opaqueness, only for outsiders. We were the new city-states, supposedly a dark ages occurring. Only the big states are valuable, valorous, led by heroes more like portholes, empty windows on oceans of fright. In our city, we forgot about leadership, busy ensuring that electrical current flowed. Federal government had collapsed because computers fell when scorched again the capital couldn't mend. We unwound in chaos, war, weather, famine, a traditional mixture. In our city, I changed. None of our concepts of social order, conventions of male and female had significance. Many men had been killed. Women formed the council responsible for decisions. I think I am a voice from the future. 
I searched for you or for him or for one. Every night as I lay sleeping outside the walls of the city, I walk. I can't require the old climate. Form is what we make of it, changing it. I command it to change once again, reconfiguring us from itself so we'll have love nonetheless. Two of us, dual case, speaking at once, voiced in the one of her. We are hostile together, but are differently voiced, hostile to each other often, but unite in unfriendliness towards top man. We shore each other up, hating ourselves, each and each other. Women hate themselves, they say. Do men say it? It's what I say. I eat the road with my head, mouth of ingestion of policies. Police lights appear as we fly through the death tunnel. Push me along. Let's turn back before we die. He's been our cop, hasn't he? Yes, they tell us what's been decided, what dreams mean, what our rights get us at this time. Not his job. I want his job. I want it too, money. We are still forbidden to lead our lives, to be the leader of them. He leads us, he says. Let's abolish him now. How? In bright permanence? I don't want to die with you. Want to lead myself. Don't want to die before I've killed them off. Anyone who'd say what our lives should be. All the evil that concerns us as women suffer always without knowing the difference between their lot and the good. All that evil happens to me, but so understatedly. There are times when the air itself seems a concentration camp for us, but not for them. Though it's the same air, it isn't same. If you're always servile walking, sexed walking, or with some name you never asked for, he beat me. That's a cliche, isn't it? He asked me to give up my show, told me I knew nothing large in the same useful way as he, but I could be a symbol. At some future date, I would be allowed to excel at style. Reflecting the light faint, I wept. He said I was different from men. Without mathematical talent, you can't lead us. You have water in your eyes. What can you see then? Soft, caring, you can advocate for your kind, who are too weak to speak well. My mother was a great woman, and she made me what I am. The quartz iceberg arrives with kings of the depression stacked on it. My voice again, nothing changes. Women are not allowed truth, not allowed speaking roles, not allowed to be precise. They say in a rhythm of lying, I'm almost equal now, children, embrace me. When my death comes, I'll have nearly been the one. Beauty's what I want now. I look for it within and without myself. When I feel serene, that's beautiful. When I see forsythias, when someone reads poems, I exist to be the one who's feeling it. It isn't for me individually. I am the universe as senses for beauty or as beauty. No need for forgiveness, drama, or oppression. Watch lights appear through the trees at evening while your daddy cleans fish. It's all that's left, only in memory, as I'm you, the voice who 
remembers me. There used to be a world. It was my legacy. I'm not a small body. I'm the whole thing. I'm alive and dead now, at the same time, speaking in your poems. I'd rain on you if I were rain, hard. <laughs> Watching you look defeated, because I'd like that, wouldn't I? Or do I care now, but I like the old themes, temptation, vengeance, hate. Maybe I don't feel anything. Shit drifts through me wanting to be a thought of mine. I don't need the aggravation. Get some convictions, man. Don't be a scrawny brain. All you do is sweep linoleum. I like floors, and I don't want to defend something. I get dust into a good pile, then it's gone. Remember cleaning compounds? Looked like tobacco. Remember smoking? I'm not going to defend this shit-ass democracy. It damages me with its trash. Its ideas are trash, blatantly showing off. I can sling it, he says with pride. If that's what, and that's what we're about, conventional big words, red and olive, not green. Well, it's still Christmas, and someone gave me a theory of economic recovery. I didn't want one. I wanted a bird call whistle. I'd like some intrigue now, a spot of birdsong on the wall, wings and shadow flutter. Explain that, you dummy. A thought in my mind seeks the one thing I want sounding here. They ran it without the top levels. They walked away gradually from the top people, taking the rest with them. I mean, we did that. We left them, for we ran it all, didn't we? We're the technicians, vocal in truth, voices of the larger part, it. Aren't we it? We can run it. Left them, left all their wars. We just disbanded the high levels, not only of government, but of big companies we worked for. We kept making goods when boss ceased to pay. We need goods, not money. The army, sick of war, had joined us. It just happened without thinking of it. The climate gone, and leaders had nothing to acquire but dust. We need to live. Power over the dust? Was the new world a good? We should have broken up with them eons ago. It's deserts, it's flooded out cities no one leads. They're muted, the former top men, always so much to do. In this future you see now with your voices, try to help us. You, the past, led us here. Um, I'm going to read about half of this work, maybe two-thirds, called Found Work, Lost Lace. It's spoken by a manuscript. I have to uh, turn around mentally. I wrote this in 2005, and it's uh, the style is slightly different. If caught in ending, you may understand the time is magic locked I put in here. It always comes from nowhere, though the words are already formed. I wasn't any person anymore, the words would say. They do as they please. Don't eradicate me as if I were a culture. The word, the clawed and golden hand that holds you up from her gravesite. But my witch never sleeps. I never sleep. This injury, beautiful being, this apocalyptic need for magic, 
obviously predicts my face has resulted in a blank dress and throat disc. River predicts my face where the sun shares its blood shot in the head when the flood comes or dries up across a planet once owned by advances. That man's butterfly over his dead extensions called me back from hell. I don't care where I am. This one thing world is the dirtiest thing, loves the dirtiest thing in the world. They're dumping my works on the street to have my rooms, and that's a future. Then along tops of cliffs, impersonating mass movement of creatures align. That's you. Are you prepared to lose everything and be one with your fellows? A migratory wound now that there's only one genocide? When I step into this position of power, I must stop caring to help. It is the reverse of the late form presidency. I, the dark, am really in charge of the device. In order to effect a change, I can't care, camarado, who you are or pretend to. I won't bring us together. I am giving you yourself. Take it. It's not that the planets are put out one by one, the stars, the lights, as they are said once to have been turned on. But this is a story of the end. Don't you want to hear it? No, you want your wife, who is always young, so much younger than you. Identify with me as your soul. Come among the old battles. Fire where heads melt. Who's had a thought since? Shoot the motion you fear out of the treasured ways taught across the grim sea. The young man says he is always blood spattered, absent hearted in the skeletal eras of our cultural conceit. No one may be left to dig up our femurs, our significant rings, our weapons, our manuscripts, for in more ways than war we are killing ourselves who have nothing to live for except the approval of our flesh-eating God. I'm not who I thought. I'm not there or here. It's anywhere in the broken clock. There's no solar system, because those words, solar and system, are broken with the breaking of the climate. Who will know the words we made for what we saw when there's no sight? A gold flower, a brown and gold flower, an old fabricated form, drying gold mental chrysanthemum, lovely, for I had made it with my eyes and some words inside my gutted self. See figure page two. There was no reason in what happened. There are no flowers. I disavow any reason but ink on paper to be viewed in the future by no one talking to you who can't be. Someone rock and gold red light. I am the one you wanted me to be dead, as dead as you. I had always gone along, sun and shadows, not bothering to remember our importance, our wars, our words for our terrifying crimes. Oh, weren't we everything? Gone, I'm still supposed to be you and your symbols. I'm supposed to be as you imagined our Earth. Well, you broke it, your concept, and now I'm the one alive. I'm always alive. 
By default, since there's no one else here, I am your soul. What you know in this place, but we're dead, or you're dead, I can't be. I am your manuscript speaking, the only woman in town. Obviously, predicting my face where the sun shares its blood, they would arrive at night to sleep outside. They say they are left over. The women and children are left over things. He leads you to hard places to lie down. If you remember better times, you know they were lies because they led to this. She lies flat on a bier or bed. Crystals spring up from her midriff. I have nothing left to tell but these rock-like things. Pressure, part of our nature, baby. You might still call what happens Fortuna, or then reasoning fell apart. I'm going to save you because I am a word. The heart from which crystals spring up, what are they for? Flawed to ask. They thought they were greater than shadows, some because they could think or something like that. Who cares now? He created an intricate argument to prove that there's no foundation I'm sleeping on inside of couples crying out, we deserve sexually that the wheels stay stopped. Forgot that Fortuna, there is no Fortuna, thinks in as ghostly a, doesn't think, way. The story that I fall in love again in the middle of apocalypse or after massacre, details? No. Someone still wanted me to bind or cling. There was a dress, black and pale yellow, so I could be her, but I said I wasn't. I was this page. Some ideas might have been useful. Certain forces are damaging. Lightning strikes you. Others are good. The sun was formerly good. There was a balance. The human must approach this balance, scrutinize it, and herself who mirrored it for extremes, acute disharmony. Natural harmony collapsed because the prayers, scrutiny, no longer invoked balance. The environment appropriated as personal power, as tool, and so not respected, became unbalanced. Nothing but heat or nothing but water. Men were witches without knowing what that was. But I, the page, know what a witch is and am one being both a possessor of natural power and a medium of transformation. The mood of the last plays, trying to become inorganic one time, trying not to be bound into a night, can evolve into what I haven't thought, the only thing we can do. Be careful or you lose your reflex, pointless to have a mood, so what do we have? I'm not trying. There's nothing can take me. People can't force me anymore. I'm still with beauty on the side of, like luster. Can you have it? What was lost to the collective hurt? Ownership of contractual scars. What a human was supposed to get. All the ways to wear time. Scars on my mind. Gone. Scarlet. It can't be a flower. And so it isn't. It was in another life. It was in another culture. 
Draw near to the town crier, he deals a complicated blow of words. I don't remember how I used to feel inferior to some haphazard fortune, to some that haphazard fortune had given arms of aggressive argument. It was the words of nothing to see, the crier and his blind wife, for I foresaw being this page left buried. Blonde, dark glasses, overweight hair pulled back, dancing in front of a dusty tree near the snow cone palace. If she was our Venus, our tumescence, last of the Latinate deserts, wearing circular dark glasses, it kills her, kills her, our spirits flying out everywhere. There's more, but I'm not going to read it. Um, I'm, I'm going to end by reading most of, but not all of, this rather long poem. But uh, I, I have a cut version that I read so that it isn't too long. It's called Blinding the White Horse in Front of Me, and it's a healing ceremony. And uh, there's a healer, there's a patient, and they have a dialogue but they might be the same person. And uh, they're in this other reality. They're in, they go away to this other reality and they talk and then uh, the patient returns. So I'm starting after about a page and a half and I'll read a number of pages, but it goes by fast. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I'll skip a little, and then I'll read the end. This is the patient's soul approaching. The shade lies down on the ground by the fire, never lit but burning orange with sparks of phosphorescent green. The patient, genderless, bodiless, will tell me of its anguish. I feel like an old, opaque secret I keep asking to be renewed. I suck on every fad, like mushrooms on a cemetery slab. Everyone's better than I am. I'm the imprisoned best. No one loves another except as a mirror to a musty guest to take stingy control. We are all failing masterfully because we desire it. Want to see civilizations ruined, want to see our species death, our psychic embroidery unraveled. We want to find out who's left, the impossible perceiver of our demise. I'm hungry, I'm sick, I'm wounded, no shirt, so tired. I want to go home. They're killing us, can't remember childhood. The animal bloodied fails to hunt again. Our genocides are a cliche repeated, but there's no satiety and further horror is willed. Who will save you? Who wants to be saved? I didn't mean to say, I didn't mean to be born. How do I heal you? Arching back with gems for eyes, cut like a flies into hundreds of facets, I can only repeat what I am. Lurch forward, sit, and again. I'm the being who wears different glasses, for I was the other child. I have made myself different eyes to see down the infinite alleyways the universe dissolves into at each ecstatic footfall, if you don't care. I'm the being who sees beyond what you do to me, 
what I do to myself as we multiply a self everywhere. Lice for all the facets of my eyes. I am resisting music. I'm the being that resists trance. I'm not in that trance, I'm above it. I'm the being that resists thought, for thought is the robot too. I'm the being who can't be sad. I have never been unhappy. I have never acted, have never supported a politics. I have never taught a thing. I'm the being who isn't planetary. We have traveled beyond our world to sit in a paper forest lit by jewel light. I'm the being out of whose mouth I am the one who made the sun, but I don't care about that. I'm the being you can change into. Fire, you are previous and future. I am resisting grace. I am resisting goodness. I am not resisting futility, violence, or power lust. I am absorbing them and spitting them out in these words. Do these words go anywhere? Go where there is no place. I enter the image where there is no changing of ours. It is outside time that you heal. Walk with me outside time. You don't have to move your feet. What walks? Nothing wills walking over the yellow image ground towards more dull black trees. We always wanted to be here where creation is effortless. It is my body, but it doesn't really move. It impersonates motion, so you'll get it. There are diamonds in here floating. There are rubies in this thicket for your affection. This could be death. Since it isn't anywhere you're supposed to be, outside your other body, who can you be? You are like me. And if roses imbued with carbon are what we love, you say, and if frogs and tigers are dead and honeybees, small blue California butterflies and any number of beautiful creations, what good is this imagination? My eyes grow more empty, my mouth gapes, and all of that destruction belongs to you. The destruction can't be healed. We are murderers. I am the being who wears murder like a blazon. I am the being who lives covered in shiny maggots, the transcendent dead self-victim, blood smell body. I am the being who watches the dance of naked skeletal prisoners. I am the being who sings triumphantly to all the dead lovers outlived, the ghastly wolf who eats any flesh, the commandant who severs his soldiers' limbs, the woman who razors the clitorises of girls, who else would I be? It's all in my mouth, loveless. I am the being that absorbs you, nothing. You are nothing that stays. I can forget you instantly or heal you of universal felony. This is a picture of time stopped. My sense holes are empty. Yours will never be unless you become me. I am the being with no face inside each animal, monkey, lizard, inside the sunflower. If you kill them as species, you kill me, but here I'll be, dispassionate, outside time. Be like me. I am the being that deflects change, for change is boring and haunted. The same gestures and shifting colors. You know all the colors. Stop, just stop. Nothing suffices but timelessness. You terrify me, you say. I am the being beyond terror, beyond extinction. Details flow off me. Here it rains a mechanical gray vapor, if that's what you want. I am the being containing no organs, nerves, or other definition. I am the being who isn't speaking, the one who doesn't speak a language, the one who has no charms or amulets, the one who can't be bought. You have, you have me, so you can't have me. 
I'm the being in which the universe is outside harmony, outside symmetry and consequence, outside protection. You have not passed beyond fear. You're shaking. I have to help everyone. I have to leave, the patient says. You'll never leave me now. You're mine. Be as I say. I'm the being who is unfertile the being with a bloody shield. I am a skeleton. I have a skull with an artifice of fire in its eyes. I'm a skeleton enduring past genitals. I am any stick figure seen beneath the eyelids. I'm your perceptions shuddering. I'm the being that won't shudder. I'm a skeleton in the black robe with dirty silver stripes clawed by a cat. I don't care if I heal you. I place skeleton fingers on your shoulders. I would never comfort anybody. I'm the being that makes you piss your pants. I'm the being with a hole in its bone forehead. I have endless skulls within skulls, bear, fox, owl. I'm the being who was once a cuckoo, tells no lies. I'm a liar. I'm the rattlesnake that takes the tortoise's hole. I have the face of a man who drinks blood of a woman of guile and deception, of an arrogant beggar who doesn't owe you a thing. In negative terms, you cannot die for me or kill for me. You can do nothing for me. And could I love you? I, the patient, ask. Then you would not get well. No lover gets well, and I'm not lovable. I am now within you. I am fighting your desperation and self-loathing, though I don't care about you. I do it for the joy of it. I see all your identities' heads on a cyclonic body. Your faces grin or grimace. You have big, stupid eyes of old passions no one needs, desires to do good or bad, an incapacity for reversal. Everything is important, you say. This world deserves urgent healing. This is the healing. I cut off all your heads, lop, lop, head after head, paste ruby blood on the non-dimensional floor, the cyclonic body's black strings. Are you in pain, my darling? There's no pain here but the psychic. You're afloat in a blood-sticky, unuttered scream. I'm the being who's uninterested in what people hold dear, for I have no memory. I'm uninterested in their memorials, their tears, and their revenge. I could never remember to be just or fair or kind. I could never remember to abide by the laws of science. I'm the being whose tongue is tribes, whose forehead is the people streaming forth from it. But I don't remember them. I don't remember time. Yes, I am your tribal deity. No, I don't reside on your planet. I have never lived. I'm the being whose cheekbones vibrate when stars collapse inwards. I'm the being with ears like a bat. I hear every rumble in your small mind. I hear the noise of your thinking, but I don't listen. Your thoughts wouldn't bear remembering. I'm a being who sleeps amid winds, the one who doesn't mind death. Have I repeated myself? Time lost its track again. Have you ever thought about the mind of God? It isn't precisely humorless, but it's too timeless for a story. Every tale's compressed into a dewdrop or a cell. Disordered flecks upon you. I'm the being for whom nothing happens. Now nothing happens to you. The edges of your wounds surround a void. The torn tissue foil-like rustles and shines. Silver and chartreuse, the colors of a fake nature. I encompass no nature as no animal thinks it's natural. I am the being that is ignorant of your system's tiny and evanescent dappling. Your calmer, emptied body is dotted with remnants of your thought. Your body has no power. There is no power that matters. When universes are created, their combustibility explosions in time seem large if you are tiny. How small are you now? Emptied you engulf all. 
I am the being who smothers origin. I am the being predating worlds, their ridiculous assumptions that there is matter, atmosphere, or cerebration. Dead, you have never thought. If you can be dead, everything is dead, or more, uncreated, or more, was never, and will never be inhabited. The patient cries, I want to get up. No, not quite yet. I am the being of peacefulness and stillness. I don't move. I rise and float in your body. I make it feel like it's floating. Isn't it, though? Where we are, there's no real ground. I inspire you to talk to the dead. I am in you, but you and the dead are in me. I'm the being from whose mouth. And the dead voices flow. I'm the being whose mouth creates from dust, whose mouth says, exist again, being nothing, being unimagined being unreal. I'm the being in whose mouth your senses are made, that is expressed, the being who has no way, the mouth in which you see stars fall, in which your eyes live. I'm the one who has no parent and won't accept you as a child. I never accept your senses. I accept you as above that dandyism. I'm the one into whose arms you fall when you fall through all of space, the one who tells you infinity is another hoax. I'm the being who has no manners or mannerisms. I have no style. I settle on nothing. I decide nothing. This is not a final place. There is no such place. I am the being who whistles to you and distracts you from self-absorption. I am the mosquito in your ear, an iridescent fly, a lightning bug. This clearing is full of false lights, flickers that stop when you look. I'm the being that's tricky because you try to make me conform to your senses. You have no senses here. You have nothing. I have no hope then, the patient asks. There is no hope or change. Have I not changed? The patient asks. How could anything so empty change? Can't we go beyond litany? The patient asks. Why bother? You are outside time. You have never been wounded, never acted, never had a thought. How can I speak? Are you speaking? This isn't happening. This is a dream or a poem or projection. Projection from where to where? From me to you, we aren't here. I am the being that you are, that you forget. I am the being whose horse is anxious to take you back. I am the one within who has healed you. You stepped outside time to find me, but you are the inventor of time, and you will go back. Can't I uninvent it, the patient asks. You return here at night when you dream. A part of your waking self remains. You are too dumb to know that. And as usual, you don't really know what you want. Do you want the so-called love of fellow creatures? Or do you want to live in the so-called truth? You have no words for who I am. Only I have those words. But you might become too petty to find me. How did I call you this time, the patient asks. You were sick, so sick with your wound of thwarted longing. You wanted the power to change the illusions you live in. You wanted to change them to an antithetical set. You wanted to name others wrong. You wanted to hang words everywhere. I am the being whose words keep dissolving. I am the being whose words aren't sacred. I am the being whose words are mixed up with falseness and truth as allies. I am the being who uses words as you use the senses to handle matter. I am the being who doesn't want to take you home. I'll take you back. But it doesn't have to be the same as before if you are really healed, even if others aren't. 
I am the being connecting everything, but dependent on nothing else. You don't have to be dependent on much else. You don't really need much. You always define your needs too broadly. I am the being who doesn't need, and I am in you. I am the being composed of all knowledge, knowing nothing. The being who doesn't want to know anything. I am the being you are always unconscious of. You know me now because you are unconscious. You find me asleep or in your precious special states. You think make you so hot. Any fool who sleeps and dreams can find me. I am the being that finds your aspirations puny. I am the being who's unpatterned, the being who sees no pattern except in you, for you try to identify yourself according to any pattern you can devise, counting the cells in your eyes or saying you are a woman or a man. You don't have to identify yourself, and you can't. I am the being that has no identity. I don't have to have something. I am the being who is not praising itself and obviously not praising you. I have been saying things in order to heal you because words heal. I am the only thing that can heal you in this case. I am the being that heals by being incontrovertible, the one who is joyous. I am the one here, the very one. I am the being you can't go back on. I am the being who fills your death, the one you have no obligation to. I am the being you, the healed, have become. The patient says, I see my past drifting away. The patient says, I am the being that has forgotten. It isn't relevant to remember who I was, what my cares were. I am the being floating above the machine I must be part of, causing planetary death. I am sad, but I see my sorrow dark and shapeless with red and orange ribbony streaks. I have to see an image to know how I feel, because right now, I don't feel. I see. Some part of me must continue to float above. I am the being that does not take sides in a war, even if one side's just. I am the being that doesn't care about justice, which creates more conflict. I'm the being that floating is impartial, that is whole. I am the being that doesn't love itself, for that isn't necessary. I am primal. I am the being that won't support one against another one. I am the being whose earth transforms before my eyes. Can I only watch? That I have nothing is best for it. I will have nothing watching, floating. It, the earth, primal with me, transmutes in my eyes. But they are only eyes and don't really see. I see with the being that floats. I am the being that incorporates these radicalities of melting and floods, heat and drought. I am the being that is more than what we do to ourselves. I am the being that is larger than the subjugation of women, that thousands of years old moment. I am the being that has never lived on earth. I am the being whose tears are weather. I am the being that has always been. The patient continues, I am the being who lives in this world, the world of the projections from our souls. I am a different being from the cartoon creatures we say that we see. I take refuge in this world that no one ever describes. It isn't a dream. I am the being that doesn't have to be ambitious, for I am culminative. I am the being who has no sex and does not engender, for everything's born. I am the being that isn't having a vision. I am the being who is omnipresent because I am receptive to anyone else's mind, anyone's projection, wherever they are. I am the being that doesn't worship, pray, or cower. I am the being that isn't a believer, isn't humble. I'm ready now. Blinding the white horse in front of me, I will ride light back. I've healed myself in light. I will return in light to light. 
Yes, an image. I am an image now, again, born in the eyes of others. I am the being that is born wrongly in human eyes. I had always seen and named myself as I was told to. Who has seen me? But forget that, riding the white rayed horse through greenish white air towards home. I am the being that flows through space, but there is no space, only being. The stars, shapeless pendants, brilliantly conform to no pattern against the fabric around me, the only silk I can see. It isn't dark. Are you with me? I speak to any patient in the battle against the illness of living as we do, the horizon, our healing wound, seen by our non-cellular eyes, our eyes, new images. You are light, and your fingertips are petals, mirrors, silver and gold. I'm the being unqualified by pronouns. I am the being that was always frightened by my inclusion of you as my weakness. We see each other now as the one image, light. There is no light. Writing towards you as light, emitting it. I am the being that creates the sun. feel like they're going to cry. <laughs> I can't be the only one. Okay, Alice and I'll cry. You can <laughs> cry too if you... Um, that was incredible. I, um, thank you uh, for all of us. Um, and I wanted to just say, I know what just happened there. I know how I Felt, but I'm interested in what your experience of that is. I've read it. I've read it. I've read it several times now in public, and it's different each time. Um, tonight I'm shattered. <laughs> but, uh, mm. It shattered me, but uh, it doesn't always. Mm. Sometimes I just perform it. Oh. Mm. But then that's a way of performing too, allowing yourself to be shattered. Say, so, you know. I go to the theater a lot in, in Paris, and uh, I've been picking up things from what happens happens in the plays and from the way the actors are on stage, uh, particularly in the plays of Racine, which are in verse, and how the lines take over the actors. And I've tried to open myself up to that, um, but you can only do it with certain works. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, and that was that's one. one. Yes. So, is it good? You said you were going to read it and see if it's good. The book? Yeah. <laughs> the book is sensational. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not getting enough attention, so I thought I'd better I'd better read it and find and then and do a check, you know, do a reality check. <laughs> The book is sensational, so it's okay about the, the, no, the no attention. <laughs> uh, Shall I go ahead? Go ahead. Okay. I don't, don't want to hog. I don't want to hog. Um, so I wanted to, to talk a little bit here about the dream world um, for you. And if you wouldn't mind talking about the interaction between the dream life and the waking life. 
Um, I, don't, I don't have it as much as I had, have had it. Um, I haven't been writing my dreams down so much lately. Mm. It's as if I've brought it out up yeah. to the surface, I, I, which was what I was trying to do. I was trying to, trying to break the wall down mm. between, between uh, uh, the, the, the waking world and the dreaming world. And I, I've sort of done that. And so, mm -hmm. but uh, what I like about uh, dreams are their unpredictability. And uh, you know you ca you can't get caught if you're using dreams. You you don't get caught in rational thought pa patterns, mm -hmm. and you can break out of the way you think you're supposed to think. You know mm -hmm. the way you think you should think, mm -hmm. because uh, you know at the end of the street there's something in the dream that you d hadn't anticipated seeing, and it's truly ridiculous. <laughs> and, and you have to deal with that. You know, and it's it's uh, it's different. So the the experience that you've just had reading that, what would how would you compare that to the experience of having written it? The experience of writing it was really unusual. I wrote it very fast. Mm -hmm. My mother, I had been to Needles to see my mother. She was eighty eight. She broke her hip, mm -hmm. and then she just got back up. And I was really inspired. <laughs> and I came home and I wrote these two poems that came from nowhere. They seemed to come up, they came up from the, from the floor of my apartment. It was like they came up out of the ground and inhabited me. They said, write me. And I just wrote them. I wrote this one and the, there's one called, uh, um, I went down there. And they both took about two, three weeks. But I just wrote them quite automatically. And I, I did no research for them. I did no thought, mm. I, you know, except the, the sketchiest kind of structural thing to keep it going. Mm. And um, I realized I was doing something that had to do with reading the Bhagavad Gita about 40 years ago, but I didn't remember it. You know, <laughs> I, said, um, I didn't know what I was doing, so yeah. I just did it. But I was old enough. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this, this one goes back a little bit. Um, in your essay, The Feminine Epic, um, you said that you wanted to write something, quote, more in the manner of Dante or Homer because it seemed so difficult and I already knew how to negotiate pieces. Yes. I love the idea that you did it because it, because. Because it was so it hard. It was so hard and I wanted to know that I could do anything I wanted to. <laughs> In writing, I mean, that's been my whole, my whole progress has been to, to see what things I can do. And it seems to be I can do them all. Yeah. <laughs> it does, it does Hallelujah. Yeah. So, I, but I had to because I was a woman writing and there were hardly any women writing. And it felt as if I had to make the entire history of literature exist in me in order to be able to do anything at all. I, I had to be able to do it all in order to continue now. I, I don't know if you understand that, but I never explain it very well. But I had to know how to do everything for myself as a woman in order, in order to be a great writer. It, it, I, I had to re recreate history and, and prove yeah. that I could write it, that I could write all these things. So. I mean, I have to say, as a male, I can uh, maybe uh, understand <laughs> it. Huh? Uh, sorry. 
Use your oh. appendage. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. As a male. Uh, <laughs> you know, I found, I found even in writing questions, uh, uh, there's, there was an amazing quote from a friend of William Faulkner's that I saw on a documentary of Faulkner that the guy said, Faulkner said to him, I believe the voices. And when I was looking at voices in your book and at the multiplicity yes, of voices yes. in your work, I thought, great. But then yeah. I thought, all right, so I'm, I'm saying, here's a male writer. I'm, I, I was very influenced by Faulkner uh -huh. when I was young. I forgot about it for a long time. I used to go home to Needles. Uh, you know, I, you would read whatever you were supposed to read for college. And I'd go home. And I would read as I lay dying every time. <laughs> and then I, I, I didn't think about Faulkner after that for oh, 30, 40 years. And then I, I, went, uh, I went to the library to get something for a class I was teaching and decided to look at the Faulkner. And I looked at this book, and it was everything I did. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was, I think it was light in August, mm. and not as I lay dying. But then I looked at the, as I lay dying, and I realized I had learned everything from it, and I was horrified. <laughs> And I shut the book, and I resolved never to tell anyone. And then I started telling people. <laughs> I, I know, I've said it before, but I, I was very surprised. Yeah. It was a long time ago that I read all those books, but they're yeah. full of voices. Oh, they're full of voices, yes. Yeah. Can I leave it? Can I leave it in? Do you know where we are? Oh, you have a clock. I, do. I have a little okay. time clock. I want to ignore the clock, but I'm not supposed <laughs> yes. to. Um, so I wanted to follow up with that, if I could. Um, in your 1991 essay, Women in Poetry, you wrote, and I'm, I'm taking some excerpts here, what a poem is, how it is good since shortly after known history began has worldwide been addressed by men with some input from women. A poem looked at this way is male. There may be nothing of women in the way any poem looks now, what would it be like to make a female poetry? Is that possible? Do you think that is still the case? I think of, of your own work with Descent of Alette, um in particular, but w how do you, what do you think about that now? Um, I, I don't, I guess I don't think that way anymore, but I think it's probably still true. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, I, 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 uh, I face it. I, I, the women have been subjected since uh, the beginning of recorded history, and all forms are male forms. And just because now, for a handful of years, there are a lot of women writing poems, doesn't mean they <laughs> they've changed very much. It's like you know, it's the whole thing. The whole thing was about dividing us in two. Uh, you know, with, with different duties and a different description. And the, the woman's description never had to do with writing poems. And, uh, but I don't care, because I just want to write my poems. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Can I read one from, uh, let me read one from the audience here. Um, how can a poet write from a position of disobedience without writing from a place of ego? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got that answer. <laughs> I mean, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would be wrong 
with writing from a place of ego, I would no, have to say. No, the main thing is to be disobedient. Yeah, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> and if you're disobedient, then, you know, then the ego. I mean, if you're truly this, then, then, then you lose that. But I, I think that last poem uh, answers the whole, all that question, answers uh -huh. that question uh -huh. adequately. Okay. <laughs> Another question from you? Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, um, yeah. In in certain magical acts, um, there is uh, the line, "I think succeeding's a hoax." Um, do you have Do you have uh, a concept of success? No. Okay. I think everything's a hoax. Cheers. <laughs> 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 I love it. <laughs> okay, here's one from the audience. <laughs> Are words mostly friends or weapons? Now there's just two choices. I think <laughs> I think you can have a third choice of some sort if you want. Um, I think of poetry as reality. I don't think of poetry as being words anymore. Um, so. That's what I think. <laughs> okay. Okay. Words are not words. How does, how, what do you think of sound? What is sound? It's kind of the whole thing. Yeah. It's the whole thing. What, what a poem is, is a, Doug, Doug wrote this book, which I can't remember the, the title of anymore, but it, it was, it's about his work with the, that recording equipment where you, and he attached a, Electrodes to people's throat and uh, throats and got them to to uh, read poems. A, a lot of different people to read famous poems, and then then he compared all all of the the raw voice wow. graphs, the sound graphs, and w it, it's apparent that what poetry is is um, intonation patterns repeated. So you, it's like you know the the lines like that, and then down here. It's kind of a mirror of that, and then the next mm -hmm. one has some aspects of it, and and then, then it, but then you see also all the vibrations that the voice makes at the same time, and you're manipulating those as you write, using those, writing them, mm -hmm. and so sound is everything, even though you're reading it a lot of the time mm -hmm. quietly on the page, but w when you read it correctly. You read it as if you're sounding the poem, and you hear it. You start to hear it. Mm -hmm. It's like that that thing that Alan said to me, Alan Ginsberg, that when he wrote, he felt the poem coming from his vocal cords. Mm. The, uh, when you're right, I mean, you're not saying it, but it comes uh, comes from here. Mm. We're probably where we ought to be in the last question. I mean, we either have one more question oh. or we don't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a last question? Well, it would be a nice long one. Yes. Uh, okay. Um, you've, uh, over the years, you've touched so many aspects of publishing from, from the mimeographic yeah. machine yes. and uh, magazines yes. uh, to having your own work published by micro and middle-sized and the mighty random penguin house. Um, 
what will you talk about publishing? Publishing and maybe even the book. The book is an object, the, the word on the page. Well, I worship the book. You know, I, I love books, and uh, I would never give them up for anything, although I'm, I'm interested in the idea of the, of the poem as, a, as an oral thing, and I wonder if it would be possible. But I'm literate, and I can never not be literate, so I, I don't know what I think about that. But I, I love publishing with all, all, all the different kinds of people I've published with, and in all the different forms I've published. I really like publishing with Penguin because it's really magical to have a book in, in, um, in, in, in production with them. They're all so professional, huh. and they love books. The people who work there really love books, and, and it, it, it's a very special experience. Uh, but then I'm sorry I don't get to publish with them except for every, what, four or five years yeah. because I really like doing it. I really like being in the publishing act. I want to have a follow-up. All right. Um, I'm sorry. Um, so have you ever wanted to have a publisher and not been able to find one? I have thousands of manuscripts I can't get published, but if really? I just, you know, I, I want them distributed. I'm getting older and older, and, and I, want, I, want there to be, I want the books to go out and for people to be able to see them, so mm -hmm. there's always that distribution thing. My last question is, would you be my president? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you want to be your president? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Alice Notley. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much.